Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Central Asia is one of those regions that few international travelers are familiar with nowadays. That wasn't always the case, however, as the Silk Road was once a crossroads for the movement of people, goods, and ideas between Europe and Asia, and Central Asia was at the heart of this prosperous trade route. Geographically, Central Asia stretches east-west from the Caspian Sea to China and Mongolia, and from Afghanistan and Iran in the south to Russia in the north. In between are the stands, including the former Soviet republics of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Today, we have the benefit of an expert in the region, writer Bradley Mayhew, joining us to share a bit about everything we didn't know that we didn't even know we didn't know about one of the largest and least visited regions of Asia. I'm Trevor Ranges, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Coates. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing great, Trevor, and I'm excited that we are pushing well beyond our traditional scope of sort of Southeast Asia with some Japan and China and a bit of Sri Lanka and stuff. Uh, you know, it's great to start to look at this massive area of the planet that is Central Asia. So what did you know about this region kind of previous to us starting to do episodes about it? Yeah, well, you know, we did it at that episode recently about Kyrgyzstan. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that uh, my parents have a friend who is a marathon runner from Kyrgyzstan. And then I believe it was when I was living in New Zealand that my Canadian friend's family sold tractors, like big industrial <laughs> tractors in Kazakhstan. So I knew that so a little bit about that. Um, other than that, that was all before Borat. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like Central Asia was, Central Asia wasn't really ever on my radar. Up till a few years ago, I didn't know much about it either, but my dad and I were planning a trip together, as I've mentioned on this show a few times. In 2019, we ended up going to Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, but we almost did Central Asia, and we had kind of gotten quotes from various you know, travel companies, and we were looking at where we could do rail and where we could do road. And I mean, the very quick thing you realize is that this is a bloody massive, massive region so that when you think, okay, I've got two and a half weeks and I'm going to see all of Central Asia, you quickly realize like that's not doable without being in a train or a car the whole time. Um, and it's just seems to be quite different from country to country. Um, but also, I mean, you have some of the, the highest mountains in the world, but then you have huge deserts and yeah, I'm fascinated by the region. I've read a book called The Great Game about how the Soviets and the British were trying to gain control of the region. Uh, I, I'm absolutely fascinated, and it is very, very high on my list. It's just now a question of where would I go? Because shy of having, say, six months, there's no way you're going to cover all five countries. Yeah, you know, but again, that's why it's great to have such guests on so that they can give us tips for what to do if we happen to have two to three weeks where we could meet up and explore the area. Yeah. So look, before we bring Bradley in, how can people help us keep this show going, Trevor? 
You can visit talktravelasia.com. That's our website. There should be a link right there on the podcast page. And uh, you can support us financially by donating as a patron on patreon.com. Scott and I have self-funded this show for seven years now. Hmm. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience. I'm really stoked that we've been doing it this time. And uh, we're really happy now to get financial support from some of our listeners, including longtime patron Chris W. Shout out from Siem Reap, Cambodia, which is my new home base of operations. So thanks, Chris. I'll tell a little bit about that on a patron-only episode that we'll share with you and other patrons soon. Uh, Scott. Why don't you introduce our guest? Bradley Mayhew is a British travel writer who's been writing guidebooks for almost 25 years, notably multiple editions of Lonely Planet Guides to Central Asia, Tibet, Nepal, Bhutan, India, and trekking in the Nepal Himalaya. He's been visiting Central Asia regularly since the mid-1990s, is the co-author of the Odyssey Guide to Uzbekistan and the Insight Guide to the Silk Road, and is featured in a five-part TV documentary retracing the route of Marco Polo from Venice to China, and has lectured on Central Asia to the Royal Geographical Society. He joins us online. Thanks for making time for us, Bradley. Well, I'm just wondering, uh, where are you at the moment, and uh, how long have you been there? Uh, right now, I'm in uh, Kent in southeast England. Uh, I've been here for a few months. I split my time between uh, the UK and East part of Central Asia. Uh, I studied Chinese university for four very long years, and I I really enjoyed the the Xinjiang part of Central Asia. So in about 1995, um, a friend and I decided to to head over to Uzbekistan on the kind of the ex-Soviet side. And this was just about three or four years after the fall of the Soviet Union. So it was this big a new area to explore. Um, so we decided to write a guidebook uh, to that. We spent six months each um, researching probably my, my favorite. Hmm. That's interesting then that you now split your time between the UK and South America. Okay, that kind of leads us into my next question, which is kind of just to give our listeners an overview of Central Asia, because this is a massive geographical area, but there's quite a few countries in there and people may not be familiar with the countries that constitute Central Asia. So how many countries are in it and uh, what's kind of the lay of the land? You know, there's various ways to define Central Asia, but the most common is the five ex-Soviet countries, you know, the, the five stan, and that's dominated by the steppe, these kind of rolling grasslands that essentially spread from Mongolia all the way to Eastern Europe, which is where the, the Mongols and the Huns kind of rampaged through. So that's Kazakhstan. And then you've got in like the southeast, you've got the big mountains. You've got the Pamir Mountains of Tajikistan. This is part of a huge kind of knot and chain of mountains that go from the Himalaya, the Karakoram, the Hindu Kush, and the Pamirs. So very high altitude, very beautiful, a bit like Western Tibet, big blue lakes. And then just north of that, you've got Kyrgyzstan, which is focused on the Tian Shan Mountains, really, that border China and, and Central Asia. And these big arms, Tian Shan Mountains that form the big mountains in Kyrgyzstan and then these high altitude valleys in between, big kind of herding culture, uh, very much a rural um, kind of environment. And then last one, last but not least, is Turkmenistan, uh, a desert republic bordering you know, the Kopit Dug Mountains of, of uh, Iran and a little bit of Afghanistan. The kind of the oddball of the bunch, really. They often call it the uh, North Korea of Central Asia, a bit of a hermit. Republic, very hard to get into um, and least known of, of all the republics. 
That's uh, you should be a writer because you did a very good job describing all of that. Thank you for the career advice. I, I realize this is a massive geographical area, and, and some of these questions we're going to ask you today are a bit generic and, and a little tough to answer, I'm sure. But on a whole, what is it you love so much about the region? I guess I'm, I'm a big fan of, of history, so I love the history of Central Asia. Mm-hmm. Everything from you know Alexander the Great leading his his troops into the battles, Sogdian um, guerrilla armies up in the mountains, um, the Silk Road, uh, you know, these images of, of caravans of, of camels bringing bales of silk into these big marketplaces and oases of Central Asia, Genghis Khan coming through with the Mongol hordes, Tamerlane setting up one of the, you know, the world's biggest land empire from, from a capital in Samarkand and Uzbekistan, the great game in the like 19th century, we have these Russian and British spies kind of checking each other out and uh, trying to learn what the other side's doing. And up in even the Soviet history is is really fascinating. So for me, history is a real a real driver for my interest in Central Asia. Beyond that, I'd say the people and the hospitality. There's a really nice welcoming culture in Central Asia. Whenever you meet, especially like at the elderly generation, they'll always give you a nice handshake, put their hand over their heart, give, give, give you a nice little bow, and probably invite you to a tea house, you know, a very, very sophisticated pot of green tea. They'll order a round of kebabs, you'll share some melon. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's a very graceful, very hospitable and very, very nice welcoming people. So it's those kind of moments that I really love, that, that and the history, I would say. Yeah, you know, we recently did an episode about Kyrgyzstan, and a lot of the focus was on the natural beauty. And as you kind of gave us an overview before, you painted this really vivid and beautiful picture. And and it's great to hear about how you can have a wonderful cultural experience just interacting with people. But are there any like like tourists like is it like not it's off most tourists radar anyway so i can't imagine there's tour buses full of chinese people necessarily there there probably still are in certain areas but but in this region what would be like kind of a major tourist draw like why would travelers go there other than having a a fascination with history as you do Uh, the the probably the most most visited area would be the Silk Road cities of Uzbekistan. So you've got places like Samarkand, Bukhara, Kiva, these very kind of famous Silk Road oasis destinations. There, the the architecture is the real draw. Um, beautiful madrasas, minarets, mosques, mausoleum, the, the big four M's, uh, and then just wonderful blue turquoise tile work everywhere. And some of these, like especially Bukhara and Kiva, they're, they're very archi- architecturally intact. So Kiva is a whole preserved city surrounded by a, uh, you know, a wall in an oasis surrounded by desert. So it's, it's just the perfect backdrop for all of your Silk Road dreams. Um, so these, these towns, they, do, they are fairly touristed. There are, you know, Bukhara has 40 or 50 beautiful um, bed and breakfast um, hotels, um, and you do get a few tour buses there. So you know that's that's the focus of of certainly the most comfortable kind of tourism you can have uh, in Central Asia. And the other republics, they're they're not so much tour bus destinations out there. You're you're kind of working out things by the by the seat of your pants. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the Silk Road cities of Uzbekistan uh, that those are the real historical and and architectural draws. 
Now, as we're talking about such a big place, I know that you can catch trains across a lot of these countries, but is a is a Silk Road trip through, you know, let's say three to five of the countries practical in, in a few weeks? Yeah, the, the Silk Road by rail is a, it's a great way to see a big swathe of the area. You know, you can either come through Russia, start off in, in Moscow and take a three, four day train down through the, the steppes of Kazakhstan to say Almaty. And then you can take trains from there that go down into Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan has really nice high speed uh, trains. So you just in two hours, you can get from the capital to Samarkand, another two hours to Bukhara. It's a really nice, comfortable way to travel. And yeah, for the, for the more adventurous, you can then take trains onwards into China. Um, you know, you always have to see what the political situation is in Xinjiang and how easy it is to travel there. But in theory, you can take trains all the way to Beijing, all the way down to Hong Kong, carry on <laughs> into Vietnam as far as you can, you can go, really. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great way to travel those distances. How about, though, heading from, say, Uzbekistan west through the, the other stands all the way to Turkmenistan? Like, is that trainable territory? Like, how would you make that journey? You can certainly train from from Kazakhstan into Uzbekistan. You can travel along the Silk Road all the way up to, to Kiva in Uzbekistan. To actually mm -hmm. cross into Turkmenistan, it's a little bit tricky by train because you have to go through all the border uh, requirements. Um, so Turkmenistan is probably best done by rented vehicle, I would say, especially because Turkmenistan, you have to have a guide. You have to have a nice set itinerary. It's more of a group or pre-organized tour destination but there are other you know you can go on from there and take take a boat across the caspian to uh to the caucasus countries um to azerbaijan so there are lots of funky options um that's slightly less reliable should we say but uh yeah you can you can have some adventures out there then they're but they're chinese you know they're they're they've got big dreams to build train tracks over the mountains from from kashgar into the fagana valley so in the next few years who knows which train routes are going to appear. Yeah, it's such a diverse region. Again, I'm looking at Google Maps. I was actually kind of proud of myself while you were talking that I could follow along in my head pretty well now. But again, for our listeners, if you go to our website, talktravelasia.com, we'll have a link to a Google Map where we'll drop some pins about some of the locations that we're talking about so you can piece this together by yourself. And a couple of things that, that you were saying, Bradley, that struck me, first of all, I was talking about some of these like desert regions and, and these walled cities and stuff. And then also just realizing that there are these towering mountains as well. And, and last time when we were talking about Kyrgyzstan, skiing came up late, late in the conversation. I was like, Oh yeah, I bet there's some skiing around there. So how about, uh, some different outdoor activities that people could participate in ar around the region from, from skiing to mountain biking to, to trekking. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some skiing in Central Asia. There's a new resort um, just outside Tashkent. Uh, Kazakhstan has some ski resorts and has a really great world-class ice skating rink outside of Almaty. And yeah, Kyrgyzstan is kind of developing some cross-country skiing. I would think in you know, the biggest draw outdoor activities for Central Asia has got to be trekking, you know, in my view. The the trekking is just fantastic. It's world class. It's it's as good as anything you can find in the Himalaya without any of the crowds, without any of the tea houses. So especially Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan are really fantastic 
trekking destinations. Um, and they have this really amazing network of what they call community-based tourism. So each town will have half a dozen homestays where you can stay with a local family and they have a local network of drivers, horse owners. So you can rent a horse, you can travel between yurts and stay stay with the yurts and put together a, an amazing three or four day trip or a, a multi-day trekking trip at a really reasonable cost. You know, you can rent, rent a horse for like 15, 20 bucks a day. And there are other parts of the region, you know. That's <laughs> one word. Uh, Tajikistan has great trekking. Fan Mountains is world-class trekking. Very dry, but but beautiful turquoise lakes up in the mountains. And the Pamir is just, yeah, I mean, you could you could trek there for years and, and A, not find another trekker and B, not run out of routes. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say trekking and, and horse riding. Horse trekking is, is a great one in Kyrgyzstan. Ride a horse between, between yurts, stay overnight in a yurt, and then, then carry on the trip the next day and know that the food will be taken care of. The guide will show you where to go, but you can get that sense of, of nomadic culture and the, you know it's a, it's part of tapping into this myth of central asia you can feel like you're riding in horseback across the the steppes and the highlands of central asia it's 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 pretty romantic now i again i, I keep saying i know this is a, a large area a diverse area but out of these five stands are there any of them that are dangerous or people should be more cautious about whereas others are, are very safe and easy to travel uh, i'd say in general they're all pretty safe at the moment. There's not there's not much crime in Central Asia. You know, in the past, things have been a bit more difficult. Uh, Twenty years ago, the the biggest hassle you'd have in Uzbekistan would would be the police <laughs> rather than the criminals. The last thing you'd ever do is is call the cops in Uzbekistan. Uh, but that was twenty years ago. Now things are, are much better. Uh, as I say, there's very little crime. Tajikistan borders Afghanistan, so you, you always have to be a little bit careful we just have to keep up with the news there have been some incidents you know like in the last 20 years kind of terrorist related incidents with, with people coming over from Afghanistan um, I think the Taliban just just captured the, the area bordering on um, Tajikistan so you, you just have to be a little bit of aware get some local advice if you get close to the Afghan border but apart from that not much crime you know it's just bad roads um, and stuff that happens in travel, but there's—I would say—it's one of the safer parts of the world. That's one of the advantages of political dictatorships. <laughs> That's kind of the, the impression I got as well. Especially you're talking about like rural areas, and in general, I think when you travel to rural areas, there's not as much crime, and if you're out in nature, and, and there's this kind of culture of of welcome welcoming visitors and whatnot, you know. So suppose. Like, I'm like, all right, I can finally go somewhere. And I am intrigued by this idea of riding horses from yurt to yurt through the, the countryside and just not having any cell phone coverage worries or anything like that. If I were to plan like a two to three week trip in Central Asia, what do you think would be the, the best, easiest two to three weeks I could spend? And what might that run me? Well, that's a tricky one. I mean, I, I get this question a lot and I have to fire back 10 questions to find out, yeah. you know, what are you interested in? You know, uh, I would say there's a couple of different options. If you wanted to see the history, the architecture, the Silk Road kind of vibe, then then you can do an, a really nice seven to 10 day 
trip in Uzbekistan. You can go from Tashkent to Samarkand, a couple of days, two, three days in Bukhara, up to Kiva. Then there are some some amazing 2,000-year-old fortresses. There's about 50 fortresses in the little desert uh, of Karakalpakstan, which is like a, an extra bonus stan, a stan within a stan. So you can do that for a day. Karakalpakstan, yeah, you get bonus points for, for that. How do you spell that? <laughs> it's it's Karakalpak is the people. Kara is black and Kalpak is a, a type of hat. So Karakalpakstan. <laughs> I like hats. I see it. Good tip. It's in the far northwest yeah, of the country. Yeah, exactly. And from there, you could go up to the Aral Sea even, uh, which is a fascinating place to visit. And then you can fly back from there to straight back to Tashkent. So that's a really nice kind of following the Silk Road, a seven to 10 day route with trains and, and one domestic flight. So you would fly back to the capital at the end? Yeah, that's the easiest thing. I mean, Tashkent has the best air links in the whole region. So you'd, you'd probably fly into Tashkent internationally. And then you can go by train in this kind of big arc up to, say, Urgent or Nukus, and then fly back from there to, to Tashkent. That, that's a nice Silk Road itinerary. Um, if you wanted to do more mountains, horse riding, then you should go to Kyrgyzstan. Um, it's the easiest place to arrange these things. And you can do anything from, you know, three or four days to a couple of weeks. Um, if you're going to go trekking, you could go down to, to Karakul, which is in um, at the base of the Tianshan Mountains. It's the center for trekking. You can easily arrange a two, three, four-day trek from there. There's agencies that can help you settle that up. Or go up into the central district, which is less kind of mountainous, but more kind of rolling high pasture land. They call it Jailu. Um, and that's where you see a lot of yurts, high altitude lakes. And you could, you could, you know, hire a car, take you up there, do two or three days going between yurts, um, learn how to milk a, a yak while you're up there, eat lots of really tasty dairy products, the best cream you've ever tasted in your life. And then, yeah, and then either carry on or head back to the capital Bishkek and it depends how much time you got, you know, how long is a piece of string, really? That's awesome. You know, I've always had a fascination with the Pamir Highway, and I can't seem to get a whole lot of info. I know people cycle it and motorbike it. I know that a few people were unfortunately killed a few years ago. Can you tell us about the practicality of traveling the Pamir, say, by motorcycle or cycling or something like that? Yeah, the Pamir Highway is just awesome. I mean, it is the one of the great road mountain trips in the world. The scenery is incredible. I think the best way to do it is to hire a, a Jeep and a driver. Then you can really enjoy the scenery. Um, you've got someone to look after the car. You don't have to worry too much about checkpoints, this kind of thing. You can either hire the car from the capital in Tajikistan, Dushanbe, or you can take like a two-day trip or a flight to get to the main starting point, which is called Korog which is in the Badakhshan region, close to the Afghan border. And from there, it's, you could do like a three, four, five, six-day trip. The best way to end it is to go all the way to, to Kyrgyzstan, a city called Osh in the Fergana Valley. And that would make a really great four or five-day uh, kind of one-way trip. Just hire the, hire the Jeep. The driver would just come straight back again um, and definitely detour through the Wakan Valley. It's a little kind of southern detour that links up with the Pamir Highway. And you have these views into the Wakan Valley of Afghanistan, the Hindu Kush 7,000 meter peaks on the other side of the valley. It's really spectacular. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's a great trip. So you jeep it one way heading east, and then you would what, fly 
back from where? Yeah, you'd end up in Osh. So you can either carry on into Uzbekistan or you can carry on through Kyrgyzstan. If you have to fly out again from Dushanbe, you can either do a big loop going through Kyrgyzstan and back into Tajikistan if you've got like a multiple entry visa. I think that's more interesting than just kind of going up into the Palmyras and then coming back the way you came. You know, it's always interesting doing a loop rather than an out and back. So yeah, I mean, the scenery is amazing. You can stay in yurts you know, overnight in very authentic um, Kyrgyz herding families, uh, their yurts. And, and if you have a translator, it's just so fascinating because you can you can hear what's happened to these people over the last 50 years, what, what happened during the Soviet days, how the collapse of the Soviet Union affected these people on the on the roof of the world. So it's it's scenically beautiful. It's it's intellectually interesting. It's a grand adventure. Yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. Wow, you know, you're quite the storyteller. So we'll certainly share some links to how our listeners can uh, learn more about you and purchase some of your works to get some tips on traveling the region. And thanks for coming up with a good trip. I do like the the history and architecture and and the culture when I travel as well. Eventually, you're going to have to break your routine of the UK and Chile and go back to Central Asia. If you could, just for a vacation, let's say, because I know I've done some travel writing and uh, sometimes, you know, going to work isn't the same as going for a holiday. If you could go on a quick little holiday to Central Asia, where, what part would you go to? Yeah, that's that's very true. Often with travel writing, you get to find out about great adventurous trips, but you don't quite have the time to do them. So I would either go back to Tajikistan or Kyrgyzstan, just because I've seen so much of Uzbekistan. I'd probably go trekking. There's some great, um, just kind of fledgling community-based tourism projects in northern Tajikistan. So you can go from homestay to homestay uh, trekking. Uh, and not many people have, have been there. So it's you're kind of exploring at the same time. There's no beaten path to, to follow. So that always makes it um, more exciting. Um, and trekking in Kyrgyzstan, there's just limitless, beautiful routes. I would love to actually take a mountain bike to Kyrgyzstan. I think there's some amazing mountain biking to be having there. Um, partly downhill stuff, but just kind of, you know, four or five day routes through mountain valleys over a pass, places that just don't get hardly any traffic, but that have some semblance of a road so that you can at least know where you're going. That's awesome. You've got me sold, Bradley. So we're going to post uh, links to, you know, your sites and your social media and so forth, but just any final kind of parting words to people that maybe now find themselves wanting to plan something in Central Asia, just any overarching things that people should keep in mind. I would suggest that you that you read up before you go. It's the kind of place where the more you know about it, the more you know about the history and what, even just what's happened in the last 20 years or even 100 years of the Soviet Union days it makes it more interesting. So I would say read up about it. My other advice would be, you know, hook into these community-based tourism projects because they really just make life so much easier. It's a great service. It's excellent value. And then you know that the money you're paying is going straight to the taxi driver, the horse owner, the the place you're staying in. So that's, mm. that's also nice to know. Yeah. Apart from that, I would say hang out in a lot of bazaars and a lot of tea houses. That's where you find them. Um, the real soul and the grace of Central Asia. That's uh, that. Those would be my tips. I think. Wow. Well, as I mentioned it earlier, you painted quite a vivid picture, and uh, uh, we'll share links and maps and whatnot to our listeners on the show notes. So we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about the region because uh, 
you know, it, it's a, an amazing place to travel that has been relatively unexplored. And I don't know, well, who knows what the future holds for travel, but uh, I got a feeling Scott might head up that way and uh, I could see myself joining him perhaps. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a great place. I would recommend it. Uh, go, go check it out. Awesome, Bradley. Thanks. Hey, Scott. Great job lining up Bradley as a guest. Uh, he, he did a really good job of promoting Central Asia, I think. Yeah, you know, there's those rare people that can tell stories very vividly verbally. And we find often that people can maybe write great prose and a great book, but they can't tell the stories. And he really brought the areas to life. Like he said, geographically where they were, he really described what they look like well. And he just got me super jazzed up about going back to, or going to that region. Yeah. And again, I'd encourage people uh, to go to the website, click on the link, check out the Google map, or just open Google maps right now and have a look at the region just because uh you know, it's something that even I didn't know a whole lot about. And I know that you and your dad have done a couple of cross-continent uh, rail lines, or at least the one, and planned another and spent a bit of time in the Himalaya. But uh, the mountains and then the northern deserts and the, the, the lake or the sea out there, it, it just looks spectacular. Yeah, and it is almost a little absurd doing an episode about a region so big because you look at it on the map and it's absolutely gigantic, right? It's probably as big as Europe. So it's like, oh, where's good in Europe or what's Europe like? But it's a starting point. And I mean, it's it's neat to go back to such a storied area, e.g. the Silk Road, but it's also really interesting to think about these places in more modern times. And I love that they're generally seem to be getting much safer. Like you can go to Tajikistan, you can go to Kyrgyzstan and not seemingly have to worry about your personal safety too much. Yeah. And for interesting reasons too. And, you know, like I imagine life is unchanged in a lot of the rural areas and, uh, and it seems uh, relatively unspoiled, you know, especially for people willing to get off the beaten track, which there seems to be a whole lot of. So uh, I think we're going to have uh, Brad on as a guest again sometime to speak more in depth on uh, one of the countries. If you have a particular one you'd like to learn more about, uh, shoot Scott and I an email. Is it contact at talktravelasia.com, Scott? Yeah, that's right. You can go to talktravelasia at gmail.com or we are talktravelasia on Twitter and on Instagram. You can send us a note. Yeah, it would be cool to hear if there's any episode you'd like us to do. Do remember, though, that uh, Trevor and I cover all the costs of doing this uh, on our own, but with the help of some special people called patrons. So if you like what we do, you want to keep hearing it, please go to patreon.com, search the name of the podcast, and you can sponsor it from as little as a few dollars a month upwards. And all of our patrons get special little something in between uh, each episode. So we'd uh, greatly appreciate that. Trevor, why don't you wrap us up? Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, thanks for Scott for talking with me again. It's good to stay in touch. Let's have a little chat here afterwards and uh, maybe we'll make it a patron episode to, to check in with our listeners as to what we're up to in our personal travel lives. So thanks and we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 